Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you with us as we continue our series, The Holidays. This morning, David Sauer, our pastor to students, offers some solutions to dealing with family. We begin by looking at Jacob's dysfunctional family, from which Joseph and his coat of many colors sprang. We're reminded of the many families we've seen in TV series, and while these are our memories, the truth might be more like what we see in reality shows, because Jacob had a messed up family tree. Listen as Dave gives us some pointers for dealing with our families and in-laws, ways to encourage and embrace them, and show our concern for the kids in our families, and ways to open our hearts to forgiveness. Well, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. You guys all have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, we did too. We ate a lot of turkey. I gained three pounds, which is awesome. Really not. Anybody do any uh, Good Friday shopping? I mean, Black Friday, Good Friday, that's awful, right? Oh, my word. Wow. Thank the Lord that he has a Good Friday. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, I did, some, I did some Black Friday shopping on my computer at my table uh, at home. I did a little bit there, and I didn't go to any stores other than the hardware store because we had a great crew of people. And give it up for the people that helped do all that. A scout troop came in and helped us put all that in, and lots of volunteers. Uh, the country Christmas banquet's going to be phenomenal, and our decor is pretty exciting. So um, get, get excited about that. Today we're going to be talking about uh, dealing with family issues. You have your uh, insert, look at that, and you're like, it's all blank, and we're like 30, you know, like 20, 30 chapters of the Bible we're going to go through. Don't worry, we're not going to, you know, read all of it unless you want to. If maybe anybody does, we can just read it. But read it to yourself. How's that sound? We're going we're gonna to highlight some of these things about Jacob's dysfunctional excuse me, family. Um, but I, you know, I, as I was putting this message together, I was reminiscing about some of the old TV shows and the families that were portrayed in some of these old TV shows. I remember as a kid, uh, loving to, loving to watch reruns of the, of shows like Leave It to Beaver and how good the Cleaver family was or shows of Little House on the Prairie and Laura Ingalls running through the prairie and her little sister falling and tumbling. And I love that show. And one of my favorite, though, I grew up in Western Montana for part of my life. One of my favorite shows was The Waltons. Any Walton fans in here? I love that. And I loved at night when they would go to sleep and they would always say, you know, good, good night, good night, Mary Ellen. Good night, John boy. I mean, I always wanted to name a, daughter, Mary Ellen. But we got Savannah, Scarlett, Sinclair, Seneva, and Summersby. So we didn't hit that one, but it's okay. Um, other, you know, and then the 70s came along, and, and some of my favorite shows in the 70s were things like The Partridge Family, you know, single mom raising this musical family, famous. It was awesome. And then, uh, and then the, 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 the favorite for most of us is, is the blended family, the Brady Bunch right? That, that, that family that everybody like, oh, the, how do those kids get along so well? Those stepkids, right? Those, those of you that might have stepkids probably know that that's not necessarily reality. And then the eighties came and, and shows like family ties were on and the Keatons and Michael P. Keaton. And they were this cute little family that solved all these great problems. And then, and then the show that most of us uh, loved and watched a lot of is the Cosby show. And I, I almost hesitated to put that up because of, you know, the mess the Cosby family's in now, right? But, um, we, you know, it's, it's, it's just interesting how television portrayed all these families that we could look at and say, oh, those would be the perfect biblical or churchy kind of families. They're, they have it all together. They're successful. And yet the reality of the Bible is 
Maybe a show like the Roseanne Barr show is a little more accurate on some of the biblical families, right? How about, uh, well, for me, and I thought, you know, that's true. I I never really watched that show. Um, I knew a little bit about it, but I kind of looked at maybe the reality TV show families of today, the Kardashians, for example, or one of my favorite shows is Alaskan Bush people, right? They're kind of messed up, Um, you know. But truthfully, if we want to go biblical on us, a reflection of a biblical family probably is more like the Honey Boo Boo family, right? That's probably more of a biblically accurate representation of families in the Bible. See, all of us go, well, our Bibles are full of all these great stories. Yeah, but most of the families in the Bible were pretty jacked up. So today we're going to go through 21 chapters in 40 41 minutes, and we're going to go through this and talk, look at Jacob's messed up family. Because Jacob had a really messed up family tree and had a messed up family. See, his grandfather was a guy named Abraham, the father of God's chosen people. And Abraham had a son named Isaac. And Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Now, Esau was born first, but Jacob, wanting to be born first, even in his mother's womb, hung on to the heel of Esau, the hairy, stinky heel of Esau. Those of you know that Esau was pretty hairy. And he hangs on. The heat just came on for those of you. Woo! Somebody had to climb up on the roof to do that. Thank you, whoever did that. But here's here's Esau. He's this hairy guy. And he gets the birthright because he was the firstborn, even though he and his brother were twins. He gets the birthright. The legal birthright is his. But then later on in life, Jacob and his mother, Rebecca, they kind of trick Esau out of the birthright. And it's kind of, whoa, what happened? He tricks, his, he tricks his own brother and the mother's involved because the mother, she loved Jacob better than Esau. She loved him a little bit more. So here's Jacob and, and he's like, okay, this is great. I have the birthright. Esau's a little bit ticked off at me. So what should I do? Well, his mother devises a plan to go marry one of the cousins in the house of Laban, which is her brother, Jacob's uncle. Now, talk about a little bit of a dysfunctional thing. Your mom, can you imagine if your, if your mom came to you and said, hey, come here, son. I mean, I have a mom. I have cousins. Hey, I want you to go, um, you know, things are a little tense right now. Maybe you should go marry your cousin, Sally. I'm like, I know Sally. I'm not going to go marry Sally. Well, Jacob, though, he didn't really know his cousins. And so Jacob goes off to the land where Laban lives and he, and, and he goes to this region and there's a well that he comes, he comes to. And it's just the, in the nick of time because there's a bunch of, a bunch of sheep herders. We call them shepherds, shepherds. There's a bunch of sheep herders there at the well, but there's a big boulder over the well. And he's, he's chatting with them a little bit. And he says, Hey guys, do you happen to know my, my uncle Laban? Well, not only do we know your uncle Laban, but in fact, here comes Rachel, one of his daughters, who's also a sheep herder. She's coming right now. In fact, the Bible says this, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, because she was had all these sheep with her, he went over and rolled the stone away. Isn't that what a guy would do, right? Us guys, we see a hot lady, we're like, what's up? What's up, ladies? Hold on. Watch out. I'm going to roll this thing away. Oh, honey. Boom. And he rolls that stone away. Now that stone would have taken three, four, maybe five guys to roll away. And Jacob does it himself. Jacob does it all himself. He rolls that stone away. And then check this out. This is, this is so awesome. Cause this is totally like, I mean, I, if I was never this gutsy when I was a young man, unmarried, 
Um, he goes, he goes and he, he helps water the sheep. And then Jacob gives Rachel a kiss. He gives her a kiss. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, they, they normally kissed in Bible time, Pastor Dave. Well, keep in mind, that was normally guys kissing a guy on the cheek to, as a greeting. They didn't, they didn't, you know, this is the, in fact, this is the only time in the Bible where a guy gives a greeting kiss to a woman. I'm picturing a Hollywood moment. It's one of these kind of kisses. Because then what does he say at the end of this verse? This is, by the way, if you're following along anywhere, it's in chapter 29, verse 11. He says this, Jacob kissed her and then he began to weep out loud. He was like, oh gosh, that was the best thing ever. I can't believe this just happened. And I think Rachel was a little excited about it too because what does she do? She takes Jacob to meet his uncle, her dad. Now, about a month goes by, Jacob's hanging out with Laban, and, uh, and he, Laban's like, hey, you know, what is it going to take to get you to stay? What can I pay you to stay on board with us? Because you're a good worker. I need some more help around here. What's it going to take? And, and Jacob's like, well, here's what it's going to take. I want your daughter's hand in marriage. What? Now, I'm a dad of five girls. Some, if some dude was hanging out for about a month, and he said, I want your daughter's hand in marriage. Actually, I might say yes at this point. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Savannah's listening. She, she's laughing at that or she's going to be mad at me later. One of the two. But here's the thing. Laban says, sure, why not? But you've got to work for me for seven years to get it. So Jacob, he works for Laban for seven years. Now I know some of us would be that seven long years. No, the Bible tells us that it went by like a vapor. It was fast. It was fleeting. The seven years was like one day to Jacob because he was excited to marry the woman that he was in love with. But then this happens. Laban tricks him. Laban tricks him into marrying his other daughter, Leah. In fact, I'll I'll read this for you. His future father-in-law does this to him. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. Now he gathered together people and gave a feast. He made a feast. Now here's what he did. That word feast there is the word for party. He threw a big party. If remember pastor Dave did a message a few months ago on Esther and Esther gave these parties to the Kings and that's kind of how she got in faith. So that's the same word. Basically it was a drunk fest. He did a drunk fest for the wedding ceremony. I've done a few of those weddings myself, but when, when evening came, he took his daughter, Leah, and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her, and Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. See, here's the father-in-law, and he just tricked Jacob into marrying the wrong girl. Now, I know what you're thinking. How did he know at the altar? Well, they covered from head to toe. You know, it wasn't like she had this thing, and he rolled the veil back and went, oh my gosh, no, he didn't. It was like the whole night she was covered. And the, But the next morning, he wakes up and is like, what just happened? So he goes right to Laban. He goes right to Laban and says, Laban, why did you trick me? And Laban gives some lame excuse. Well, she's the oldest daughter and our, our, you know, our culture, you're supposed to, the oldest daughter is supposed to get married first and it wouldn't be fair to her. So I, so you can marry. He goes, but I still want to marry Rachel. Laban says, okay, after the seven days of marriage ceremony, you can marry Rachel on the eighth day, but here's what you have to do. You have to work for me for another seven years. And Jacob agrees to that. Jacob agrees to that. See, in-law issues were already starting. And their marriage just got started. 
How many of us have had some in-law issues over time? Yes, we have. One of the biggest issues that I deal with when I do premarital counseling is I have a book that people go through. It says, before, it says, before I say I do is the name of the book. And it's a workbook. And one of the chapters in this workbook is just a whole chapter on dealing with the in-laws. In fact, the couples are supposed to write out 20 things, 20 expectations that they have for their in-laws, how to have that relationship, how to work with that relationship with their in-laws. I remember one day I was golfing with my dad and, uh, and he, he hits a ball to the green. It was a really nice shot, but it misses the green by just a couple inches. And my dad says, oh man, that was a, that was, that's called, son, that's called a, a, a son-in-law shot. And I said, a son-in-law shot? What do you mean by that? Well, it's not what I expected, but I'll take it. I'm like, well, I, I can relate to my dad at this point. I mean, I can't relate to him with the son-in-law part, but I, ha- I, I have four older sisters um, and eight brother-in-laws. I I don't know how that works, but that's what I have in my family. But the in-laws are a big issue in people's lives. And in-laws, let me, let me just, let me just say this in-laws. And this is my first point. If you're taking notes, if you want to write any notes, in-laws, please don't be outlaws. In-laws, please don't be an outlaw to your kids or kids. Don't be an outlaw to your father or mother-in-law. See, here's what most Here's what most um, families ha- have happened in most families is they have, we have a screaming child, but that's okay. Um, there were screaming children. Remember Dave's announcement, screaming children. So everybody bring their kids to Christmas morning. But here's, here's what happens in most families is most families. We have a mother-in-law and a daughter and a daughter. The mother-in-law would be, you know, and the daughter and the mother are best friends. What should happen is when the daughter gets married to the husband, the husband becomes the daughter's best friend and vice versa. And the mother-in-law doesn't necessarily step completely out of the equation, but turns over the friendship rights to the husband. And the husband gets the friendship rights for the daughter. See, when I got married, my mother-in-law and I did not see eye to eye. This is not a secret in our family. My wife's right over here and she'll attest to that. My mother-in-law called me, what's his name? She put a $50 bet that we wouldn't last more than five years. And I'm not kidding. I prayed though. I remember praying. I remember praying before my wedding. Lord, please, please intervene. Please do something. And seven days after we got married, my mother-in-law moved 1,241 miles away to Denver, Colorado. God answers prayer. And if she's watching this on the podcast, she knows that we joke around about this now and we have a great relationship now and she's an amazing woman and she loves her grandkids and she loves her kids and I love being around her and she's an awesome lady, but we did not see eye to eye. But here's the verse I want you to cling on to is as God said it in Genesis chapter two and Jesus says it again right here in, in the book of Matthew. He says this, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast or cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And I actually put in there or (laughs) mother-in-law. Let your kids be friends as husband and wife, but kids, they're still your parents. They're still your, they're still your mom and dad. You still need to honor them. The Bible doesn't say stop honoring them when you get married. The Bible says to honor and respect them. We need to still honor our parents. We need to still respect them. We still need to love them and take care of them. 
You know, I find very much comfort in knowing my mom, who's 79 years old, who was here just a few weeks ago, here for her birthday, and she's 79, and I have sisters all around her as a family. We, we take care of my mom. We all pitch in. We all do things for her. And this is the great thing is we honor her. We respect her. We love her. And we're all married, and some of us, some of them have been married several times. But we all take care of my mom. She's still our mom. There's still your mom. There's still your dad. We still need to honor and we need to respect them. In fact, the Bible in, in the book of Ephesians says this, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. There's something to be said about that promise of honoring our father and mother. It doesn't stop when we get married. It doesn't stop when we get married. A census taker knocked on the door of an old cabin up in the Appalachian Mountains. The door was answered by a rather unkept adolescent girl. The census taker asked, May I speak with your father? The girl answered, He ain't here. He's been in jail for two years. You guys like my accent there? I practiced that all morning. The, girl, the, um, the man said, Then can I speak with your mother? She ain't here either. She ran off with the moonshiner. Well then, is there an older sister I can speak with? Nope. She married off and lives with her seven kids down at the bottom of the mountain. The man asked, well, perhaps there's an older brother I can speak with. Once more, the girl answered, he ain't here either. He's at Harvard. Harvard, the man said. What's he studying at Harvard? Oh, he ain't studying nothing at Harvard. They're studying him. (laughs) See, Lee and Jacob start having some messed up kids at this point in their relationship. Right? They start having some pretty jacked up kids. Leah, she, she's, she's, now she's married, so she has the, the weak eyes, is what the Bible said, and Rachel's the pretty one, but Leah's the one that can have kids. So Leah has four kids. Boom, 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 boom. She was fertile myrtle, as my wife calls herself. Um, she did. She had five kids. We're like, you have, you're pregnant again? 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 Okay, we're done. We're done. Five girls, great. Praise the Lord. Jesus loves us. Let's, um, we're done having kids. Yes, but our kids are awesome. We love them. But Leah started having kids. She has four kids right out of the gate. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. But Rachel gets a little jealous and gives Jacob her maidservant and Billa, her maidservant, became pregnant and bore him two sons. Hold it, hold it there. Stop, stop just for a minute. Did you just hear that? She, Rachel gives the maidservant Now, I don't know about you, but that would be a little bit awkward if my wife came up to me and said, hey, honey, I can't have kids, so um, you can have the maidservant and have kids with her. That's kind of awkward. That's kind of a little bit dysfunctional. So... So I just wanted to point that out. And then, and then, and then Rachel gets, she actually gets a little bit, she's jealous. She really is jealous. The Bible says Rachel is jealous. And then here's what she says in verse nine of chapter 30. Give me children or I will die. Isn't that a little melodramatic? Give me children or I will die. Or you can have my maidservant and she'll have kids for you. So Billa has two kids, Dan and Naphtali. Now Leah, See, I want to stop for a minute there too. Because in those days, if you couldn't have kids, it was actually okay to give your maidservant to your husband so that you could have kids. And those kids would actually just become yours. They would be your kids. So this is interesting because because Rachel can't have kids. Now Leah is found that she can't have kids anymore for some reason. 
And so Leah decides to do what Rachel did and give her maidservant over to Jacob. And Leah has a couple of kids through her maidservant. She had Gad and Asher. And, and, and then Leah starts to think a bit. You know, this, this, isn't, this isn't quite fair because Jacob really doesn't even want to talk to me, let alone sleep in my bed with me. So I'm going to have to go talk to Rachel about this. And she goes and talks to Rachel about it. And Rachel and her come to an agreement that Leah is going to pay Rachel so she can actually sleep with Jacob. This is crazy, guys. This is in the Bible. This is nuts. This is a messed up thing. So Leah, who's already married, has to go pay the other wife. I mean, sister wives ain't got nothing on this. So Leah actually paid to sleep with her own husband. What did she pay? She paid this mandrake plant, which was actually in those days, it was, it was actually considered a fertility plant. It was a fertility plant. So she paid Rachel a fertility plant so that she could actually go sleep with Jacob. Now, it's interesting that Rachel would want a fertility plant as payment, right? Because she couldn't have kids. Now, Leah, here's the thing. And you can read all this on your own, 29 through 50. I highly recommend to read this. But here's the thing. Leah, she gave God all the glory. If you look at all the kids' names and what they mean, she, gave, she named them and gave God all the glory for it. And Rachel, she was mad. She was mad at Jacob. She was mad at God. She would do anything she could to try to have kids except just go to God. She didn't go to God. But I'll get into that in just a minute. So Leah you know, slept with her husband. She bore another, another son named Issachar. She became pregnant again with another son named Zebulun. And sometime later, she gave birth to her only daughter named Dinah. I don't know about you, but uh, all those boys and one daughter, that must have been a crazy, crazy household because I have five daughters. I don't know what it's like to have a boy. I had four older sisters and I have five daughters. God was preparing me for something uh, amazing. But here's the thing. Then God, so Rachel still hasn't had any kids, but then God, it says in verse 22 of chapter 30, then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Joseph. So Rachel finally had her son and later Rachel would pass away giving birth to her second son named Benjamin. Here's the thing. This is a pretty messed up family tree. There's four mothers, there's 13 kids with one dad. This is messed up. But the crazy thing about it is God still did amazing th- things through this one messed up family tree. Do you understand the Levite, the priests of the Old Testament, the Levites, the priests, they came through the, through the tribe of Levi, one of these messed up kids. Do you understand that, that, that Joseph became, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, but Joseph became the number two guy in all the land of Egypt? As a Hebrew, he became the number two guy in all the land. That was pretty amazing. God did that through a messed up family. The other thing that that he did is something, I mean, something a little bit minor in the Christian church is, oh, the line of Jesus came through this family, through Judah. God can do amazing things. And he did amazing things through this family. Imagine what he can do if we let him through our families. Imagine what God can do if we just let him through our families. See, normal families 
are dysfunctional. And dysfunctional families are normal. That's our next point. Normal families are dysfunctional and dysfunctional families are normal. I would highly encourage you to, uh, to kind of think about this for a minute because when we have to get together with families, it can be pretty, it can be pretty, um, dysfunctional. Um, some of you may not find these funny and some of you may. I grew up in Western Montana, so some of these were very relatable to me, not necessarily funny, but relatable. Um, you might have, you might be able to identify yourself as a dysfunctional family if you go to a family reunion to meet girls. Okay, one person over here gets it. Um, you might have a dysfunctional family if anyone in your family has ever purchased peroxide in a gallon container. <laughs> um, you might have a dysfunctional family if someone asks, where's your bowling bag? And you answer, she's at home with the kids. Um, you can look these up on Google too. Uh, you might have a dysfunctional family if the first question your mother-in-law asks upon checking into the Motel 6 is, Where's the nearest liquor store? I can relate to a lot of those myself personally. Some of them are funny and some of them aren't. But they all hit home. I can relate to several of these. See, normal families are dysfunctional and dysfunctional families are normal. So how do we work with, how do we be around, especially this time of year when we have to be around our families, how do we deal with that? I think there are four, actually five ways that we deal with that. Number one is keep conversations light and encouraging when you're with those families, you know, let, keep the conversation light. In Proverbs, it says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Don't go into a family reunion at Christmas time and start stirring things up. You're going to mess things up when you start to stir things up. Express concerns without accusations. I remember a number of years ago, right after we moved to California, I had a nephew and a niece that were going through some hard times, and they ended up in a messy, messy divorce. And I was very accusatory in that situation. I was, I was wrong in how I handled their situation. And here this last summer, almost 10 years later, I had a chance to embrace my nephew and restore a relationship that had been broken because of my accusations on them, because of my um, timing on that conversation. Resist the urge to people, please. Don't just go to family reunions, try to please everybody and dance around everything and just have, be, the, be one of those people that just pleases everybody. Resist the urge. In fact, J.R. Tolkien uh, says this, I don't know half of you, half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of you, half as well as you deserve. We should go into family situations focusing on families and the family situations, the positive qualities of our families. Guess what? All of us have messed up people in our families. All of us could point fingers in all kinds of directions. And if you're the one sitting there pointing the finger at everybody else, maybe actually you're the dysfunctional one in the family. Our families are messed up, but let's go in and be positive with them. Let's look at the qualities that are good. Talk about the one tooth that really looks good in your, in your cousin's mouth, okay? I mean, you, there's things you can do. But I think the fifth thing and the most important thing is to pray. Actually, I would even say wrestle with God before you go into your family reunions, before you go into that family Christmas dinner, before you go in, maybe it's too late now and you're coming out of Thanksgiving. You're going, oh, I need to hear this because, man, Thanksgiving was rough. Wrestle with God. Wrestle with God. 
See, in, in chapter 32, Jacob learns that he's going to have to have a reunion with his brother, the same brother that he stole his birthright from. And he knows this reunion's coming. In fact, Esau's bringing 400 of his closest personal friends. <laughs> it's kind of freaking Jacob out a little bit, thinking, oh, there's 400 people coming? Well, this is not going to be good. And Jacob may have been right. But instead of worrying about it, instead of stressing about it, and Jacob is quoted in the Bible saying, I have great fear and distress for what may come. But Jacob, instead of living in that great fear, instead of living in that great distress, he goes to God. In verse 30, in chapter 32, verse 9 through 12, then Jacob prayed, O God, my father Abraham, God, my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all your kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. This is amazing. I have become two camps. Jacob goes to God with this. And he wrestles with him. And the Bible actually says that he wrestled with God. If you look at verse 24, it goes, So Jacob left alone, and, and he, he was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And Jacob did what he did to his brother. He held on to that man for dear life and said, I will not let go until I am blessed. I will not let go until you bless me. That's 32, uh, chapter 32, verse 26. Jacob has his family somewhat protected and he goes ahead and meets his brother Esau because he got the blessing. So he goes and he meets, his, he meets his brother Esau. And here's the cool thing about it. He goes and, and he could have done anything. He could have danced around. But what does he do? He just met with God face to face, wrestled with God, which is what many of us need to do before we go meet our families. And he goes and, and humbles himself before his brother. He humbles himself before his brother. He lays down and bows down to his brother. It's, in fact, it says, he himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. He had humility. He bowed down to his brother. I know for me, it was, it, I, I actually felt my heart racing when the first time I saw my nephew. And I embraced him. We hugged. We didn't have to say anything. We just hugged. We, I had to humble myself. But then here's God going ahead of Jacob. Here's, go, here's God going ahead of Jacob. And in verse 4 it says, But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. See, God didn't just give Jacob kindness. He didn't just give Jacob humility. He gave Esau humility. He gave Esau kindness. And what that led to, because Jacob prayed, in my belief, Jacob prayed and he asked for this. And here's what happened. It led to reconciliation because that last sentence, and they wept. And they wept. They reconciled in that moment. 
And of course, it goes on to tell us that Esau started asking about the kids. Esau, you know, they, they, they became Facebook friends. I mean, they had all kinds of great stories to tell. And this was a great moment in the Bible because Jacob thought he was going to die. But God intervened in this family reunion. God intervened in this family reunion. And see, as they're talking about the kids, it reminded me that we've got to get back to the story because there's some kids we need to talk about in this crazy story. There's this daughter. And of course, I have five daughters, so this story jumped out to me. This daughter named Dinah. And here's this daughter. And she's like any normal... 16 17 year old girl that's what bible scholars say she was probably the age of she was 16 17 year old girl and they're they're living in this place called shechem and the mayor of shechem his son was a good looking dude and dinah decides to go out on the town with the ladies to see what the nightlife is like in this place called shechem and in fact the, it's named shechem but the dad's name is shechem kind of a weird thing anyway you can read about that and you kind of have to read it three times because you go shechem and then shechem is it a place or is it a person it's both okay but you'll get that when you read it but here's the thing she goes to she's out in the town and the mayor's son, who's this good-looking dude, sees this new girl. If you've ever been, at, been the new person at school and people see you, there's the new kid, right? Well, she was the new kid, and he was like, well, hey, she's pretty good-looking. She's actually beautiful. So I'm going to take advantage of her. And he did. He had the power. The mayor's kid took advantage of her, and they slept together. And guess what? The brothers found out about it. Now, think about it. She had 11 brothers or 12 brothers, ultimately 12 brothers. But at this point, she had 11, and most of them were older. And she had two of them that were older and very protective, Levi and Simeon. They're very, very protective of their little sister. And they find out about it. Now, I want to know where Jacob was through all this, but we'll get to that in a minute. But here's Levi and Simeon, and what do they do? Well, they're like, you know what? We're going we're to take care of our daughter or our sister. Jacob's not taking care of her, so we're going to take care of her. So they go, and they make a deal with the mayor and the son, that all the men in the town have to be circumcised so that they can be Canaanites just like them. And they're going to be circumcised. Now, I don't know what kind of deal that is, but I know that a bunch of men just did this right now when I, when I said that. Can you imagine that the mayor of Richmond coming in and go, okay, everybody here needs to be circumcised. I'm like, I'm out. I'm checking out on that one. I'm checking out. It's not going to happen. Right, but everybody in the town agrees to it. So they, that, that's about a seven-day healing process and three days into the deal, Simeon and Levi come in and they kill every male in the town because they're all recovering from being circumcised. They can't really fight back. They kill every male in the town and take everything, including the women and the children. These are some pretty jacked up. Now remember, Levi is the tribe that all the priests come from, right? He was a murderer of a lot of people. Pretty, pretty messed up family. But here's the thing. Jacob was MIA. I've always asked myself that question when I've read that story. Where was Jacob in all this? Jacob had this deal with the mayor. That's really where he was. He was concerned about his business dealings with the mayor. And he's like, let's not make a fuss about this. It's okay. I know your sister, she was probably partying a little too much. It was probably her fault, right? No, Jacob was MIA. He was concerned about his own business and not his kid's business. And that leads me to my next point. Be concerned about our kid's business as much as we are our own business. We need to be as concerned about our kids happening as we are our own. See, Jacob was more concerned about his, his dealings with the mayor. 
Are we, are we concerned about our kids? What does that look like? Are we, are we working with them with their homework, with their school? Are we working with them with, uh, with their sports teams? Are we becoming their coaches? See, I think we need to invest into our kids and uh, invest into hobbies for us, for my kids, my three, I'll call them my three little kids. We have a hobby. It's called Star Wars. Okay. In fact, my, my eight year old dresses up like Ray most Sundays and shows up as Ray from Star Wars, The Force Awakens. Rogue, Rogue One's coming out on December 16th. Um, this is the movie plug. We need to know about their sports. Maybe you're not a good coach, but maybe you could coach your kids' sports teams or at least go to the games. How about the socials? How about being involved with their social media aspects, especially if you have teenagers in here? Believe me, I'm still a student pastor around here and we have social media things that need to be, you know, you need to know what your kids are doing on social media. And you know what? The best way isn't to go home and go, you need to be off social media. I believe the best way is join them. Become their friend on Facebook. Become their friend on Instagram or Snapchat, Snapchat, whatever that thing is. No, I have one. I'm kidding. Become their friend on that. But more important than that, did you know that 80% of the kids recently surveyed at youth groups don't even know what their parents' faith story looks like? Their parents have never shared how they, how they came to know Jesus. Share your faith. If you do anything after today, go home, sit, up, sit around the dinner table this afternoon or tonight and share your journey with your kids. Now, I'm not saying you have to share all the gory details. You don't have to get into the detail the Bible gets hearing about dying. But share your faith story with your kids. It's important they know how you came to know Jesus. They need to know that. The Bible tells us that we need to train up our children in the way they should go and they will not turn from it. Now, that's not a promise from God. A lot of us raise our kids in the church and then they run away from the church. Studies are proven. That's what they do. They 72% of kids today, when they graduate high school, run away from church. But we've got to do our best and some of our kids, they'll turn out really well. And some of them might get messed up. I remember I had a sister ran away from home. I lived in Montana. We lived here. She ran away to here. That's like a million miles, Montana miles. It's the blue sky country, right? That kind of thing happens. You can do the best you can. You know, Joseph, Joseph, the younger brother, he, he, didn't, he didn't find himself in good favor with his brothers. Because his brothers, as you can read, Simeon and Levi were pretty messed up and so were the rest of them. And so Joseph, who was his dad's favorite son, why? Because Joseph was the woman that his dad loved. His, it was her son, and he loved her more than he loved Leah, and he showed favoritism to Joseph. That's why Joseph had that beautiful Technicolor dream coat, right? Some of you saw that musical. Did you see the one with Donnie, Donnie Osmond? That was awesome. Um, but here's the thing. Joseph was the favorite, so his brothers didn't like him. Don't have favorite, favorite kids. You know what I say to my kids all the time? Say, you're my favorite daughter. You're my favorite daughter. In fact, someone's sitting over here. You're my favorite daughter. And when I say that to Savannah, it's a little bit awkward because she's 23. It's like, you're my favorite daughter. I love you, sweetie. I really do. You're my favorite daughter. Okay. Um, at 23, it's a little bit different. But Joseph... He gets sold into slavery by his own brothers. This is messed up. These guys are messed up. They sell him into slavery. Well, they, they were going to kill him. I guess there's one thing going for him. They were going to kill him, and now they just sell him into slavery, you know. I guess that's okay. But Joseph, all those bad things happened to him, but here's Joseph. 
he, he gets sold to this guy named Potiphar. Potiphar puts him in, is the number two guy in all of his house. And then Potiphar's wife, you know, finds Joseph attractive and she tries to make a move. Joseph says no. And, and the, you know, the rest is he goes to jail. Well, then he becomes friends with the warden and the warden puts him as the number two guy. And then the, then the Egyptian Pharaoh comes in and there's a little dream that happens and, and Joseph interprets the dream. And all of a sudden we find ourselves in this story where Joseph is, is interpreting a dream for the, for the Pharaoh and, and boom, he's the number two guy in all the land of Egypt. And the dream was about this famine that was going to happen. And I know for a lot of us, the famine is already happening in our families. We already have this famine right here in our own families. And we need to deal with it. Jacob and his family were in the middle of that same famine that happened in Egypt. And they had to deal with it. So what do they do? The, the family goes up to Egypt and because they, they find out that there's this guy in Egypt that has all this food. And they go up to Egypt and they start this process of buying some food from Joseph and they don't even know it's him. They come up and he's shaved bald like me and he has this cool little thing, you know, those Egyptian little things that come down here. He has this cool staff and he like, he looks the Egyptian like number two guy part, if you know what I mean. It's amazing. And his brothers come in and, and, and they're all like bowing down to him saying, hey, please help us with some food. We've got money to pay. And Joseph kind of basically says, hey, fine, here's some food. But then he sets them up and they're like, get, get your little brother Benjamin up here. And to make a long story, again, this is 21 chapters. You need to get in there and read them. But to make a long story really, really short, Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. But in his heart, they sold him into slavery. They were going to kill him. But in his heart, he already was forgiving them. Here's how I know. Chapter 45, verse 2 through five. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard him. He wept. He wanted to embrace them. Verse, verse three, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father living? But the brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. They thought they were going to get killed, but he and his heart was forgiving them because he was weeping. He wept so loud that Pharaoh could hear him. And then he says, brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be stressed. Don't worry about it. Do not get angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. It was to save lives and I forgive you and I'm here to help. I'm here to help. See, we need to forgive so we can heal. We need to forgive so we can heal. Jacob has no idea what happened to his son. He thought his son was left for dead, so he comes and sees his son. And it's like this big family reunion. It was amazing. Forgiveness is a wonderful thing. It causes this healing. This family comes in and they can all heal. I think for us in the holiday season, one of the best things we can do is forgive so we can heal, but also so we can help so we can help. Forgiveness is freeing, it's comforting, it's empowering, and it's reaffirming. It's reaffirming. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 2, 7 and 8, now instead you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Isn't that what Joseph just did? He said, don't be angry, don't feel bad. I'm here to help. I urge you therefore to reaffirm your love for him. 
Joseph was reaffirming his love for his long lost brothers. I know some of us have family members that we need to, we need to embrace, that we need to forgive. We need to reaffirm that we really love them. And maybe some of you are that family member that needs to be reaffirmed, that needs to be embraced, that needs to be forgiven. And maybe you can pray like Jacob did that you could be forgiven. Maybe you could pray and God would go ahead of you. Jacob has this family reunion. Jacob's close to his deathbed and Jacob, Jacob, here's what he does. And this is what a lot of us dads would do. All of our families together and Jacob, he blesses, and this is important in their day, he blesses his entire family. He blesses every son. He blesses, he blesses the whole lot and he blesses them before he dies. Why did he do that? Why did Joseph forgive? Why did Jacob bless them? Because all of this, this forgiveness, it comes from God. It comes from God. Joseph confirms his forgiveness later on to his brothers. It comes from God. Our forgiveness, if you don't feel you have it in your heart to forgive, let God move in your heart so you can forgive. Oswald Chambers wrote, once you realize all that it costs God to forgive you, you will be held as in a vice constrained by the love of God. It's so wonderful to be held like you're held in a vice by this love of God through his forgiveness. And we all know that that forgiveness came through Jesus on that cross. It came through him. So as we finish up today, I want to encourage you in a couple things. And one is kind of some takeaways. Encourage. Encourage your in-laws. If you're a son-in-law, daughter-in-law, encourage your father-in-law, your mother-in-law, and vice versa. Be encouraging to them. Encourage them with their marriages. Encourage them to be friends. Encourage them to seek God. If you have a dysfunctional family, which is probably everybody in here could raise their hand, if you embrace your dysfunctional family, and I don't mean just live with it, I mean really embrace them. Maybe you have a relationship that needs to be restored and you need to go out and make that phone call right now after church and say, hey, can we get together for coffee? To that brother or sister or aunt or uncle or cousin or someone that you're estranged from and you need to, you need to make that phone call so that relationship could be healed. Third thing is concern yourself with your kids. Our kids live in this world that's messy for them. What more kids need is they need more dads to stand up and coach their soccer teams. What they need is they need more moms to be those ballet moms. I was the ballet dad, believe it or not. I had five dollars. I was backstage with all the little girls. Trust me, it was crazy. I was like, okay, if I can do this, we can have more kids. Like little girls in pink tutus everywhere. There's a picture somewhere and it's never going to be shown on this screen. I will promise you that. But concern yourselves with your kids. And last, forgive. Find it in your heart to forgive. That's the most healing piece of this whole message. That's the most healing piece is that forgiveness. Why don't you guys stand with me as we pray and we ask God to move in our lives.
to encourage us. Father God, we thank you for today. I know in this holiday season, in the hustle and bustle, it's sometimes so hard to even want to deal with family, but we're forced into it. And Lord, I pray that you would go ahead of us. That you would go ahead of us and heal those wounds that we have with some of our family. That you would go ahead of us and and allow that humility to happen. Allow that kindness to come out. That you would go ahead of us and have those moments where we could embrace. But Lord, more importantly, you would give us a heart of forgiveness. Unconditional. Unconditional forgiveness that you gave us on that cross so that we can be healed. So that we can be healed from those pains, those hurts. So that we, Lord, can have great family reunions even in the midst of our dysfunctional families. Thank you for your word today, Lord. We pray all of this in your son's precious name, the name above all names, Jesus Christ. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, exists to help everyone take their next step closer to Jesus. Thanks again for listening.